This is Popkill. My name is Hilary. Well, as you can probably tell by the Cork accent, I grew up in Ireland. I had an obsession with music and because I loved pop music, I was always listening to the radio. I grew up hearing Irish anthems like The Boys Are Back in Town, Zombie and Nothing Compares to You. And always seemed to take for granted the fact that this small island has produced such a prolific array of pop music. Since then, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Ireland's fascinating relationship with music. With this podcast, I want to explore this relationship further and with each episode tell the story of an Irish pop song from a historical, musical and social perspective. So I'm going to kick off the podcast with an episode on the iconic The Steady Song by Dublin band Republic of Lease. Oh. The song was recorded in 2008 and featured on the album Volume 4, Johnny Pyro and the Dance of Evil. The song was a summer radio hit and spent a total of 13 weeks in the Irish singles chart. Republic of Leafs were an Irish funk rock band from Dublin. Formed in 2001, the main lineup was vocalist Mick Pyro, bass guitarist Benjamin Luce, keyboardist Deco, guitarist and songwriter Brez Breslin, Dave Pyro and percussionist Cos Nolan. The band were best known for their eclectic range of influences, showcased in hits like Comeback Girl, I Like Music, You Know It and The Steady Song. Republic of Lease have earned the admiration of some of Ireland's biggest names in music. Damien Dempsey has called them the best band in Ireland. Sinead O'Connor has described them as simply the best Irish band ever and Bono has even described them as trailblazers. In this episode of Popkill, I'll dive into the story of the Steady Song and attempt to uncover what made the song such a unique and long-lasting Irish pop hit. To find out more about the song, I was lucky enough to get the chance to speak to the band's guitarist and songwriter, Brez Breslin. He told me all about the story of the song and how it began at Grantham Street in Dublin. It was living on Grantham Street in Dublin, right? Just on the top of kind of Camden Street, above the Simon community there. We had, we had an apartment there, which was great because our manager had a bar down the road, Carnival. Carnival was kind of one of our bases for whatever, you know, drinking and, and messing and whatever. So we'd all meet there most weekends. So I was only up the road. I was like top of the street, which was great. And uh, I wrote the song. I I kind of wrote the instrumental there, you know. I wrote it on an acoustic guitar. The same acoustic I wrote Comeback Girl on. And it's the same acoustic I wrote You Know It on. And Greedy and the song Ah. All these instrumentals that I would kind of present to Mick or the band was was one guitar, one acoustic guitar, which is up in my dad's house right now. I knew I wanted it to be an acoustic thing. So I called it to my dad and um, I borrowed it for a couple of weeks. So I brought it down to Grantham Street and I had a, had a little MacBook garage band. That's how I started working on it. At this point in the call, Brez told me that he found the original demo files for the Steady song and that he'd be able to share them with me. The demo date is the 23rd of January 2007, which is a Tuesday. Would have been the afternoon. And that's what I did most days. I just, I used to get up and um, have a coffee and then just write, you know, and I didn't write the steady song every day and um, far from it, but like I would, you'd get the odd one, you know, and that was one that I just, it just fell out. I did a, did a very quick demo on it that day and um, I used the drum beat, which, which was on GarageBand at the time on one of the expansion packs, right? So Brez wasn't the only one using the new presets on GarageBand in 2007. Three months later, Rihanna released um, Umbrella. I was across the road in the centre, like getting something and that exact thing came on and I was like, what? I was totally confused because obviously that was the beat that I had with, you know, and I, I was just standing in the centre going, 
I was checking my phone. It's like, what's my demo playing? And then the, whatever, the, the umbrella kicks in. I'll just play a little bit of, of the demo if you want. Like, it's, you can hear the acoustic anyway. Would you be able to tell me a bit about the influences when you were writing the Steady song? One was John Cougar Mellencamp. You know that song, um, Jack and Diane? You know? So that kind of, that kind of open string thing. You know, that it was kind of the idea of like an, of an acoustic something funky but it was an acoustic riff you know the original key was was different it was in d you know so it was this it was down low you know it was in d major it's essentially in d major but it's also essentially in b minor you know it's playing on the, the relative major and minor and it, it never actually hits the d chord in the song so it kind of has that ambiguous kind of tonal thing where it's like it's not necessarily happy. It's not necessarily sad. Never, never latches to either one. I think that create. I think just thinking back, like you know, looking at it now, analyzing it now, which I probably didn't do. I wasn't doing that at the time, but it never settles on like, oh, this is a really happy song, or this is a really sad song. It just kind of sits somewhere in the middle. Using an ambiguous key signature is a classic songwriting technique. The lack of solid key signature or home chord results in a sense of harmonic destabilization. Many songwriters use this technique as a way of creating a sense of emotional ambiguity. In 2016, Fox wrote that the technique is what unifies most of 2016's radio hits, including Sorry by Justin Bieber and Hello by Adele. But this songwriting technique has been around for a while and it can also be found in The Beatles, She Loves You and God Only Knows by The Beach Boys. Brez tells me a little bit more about how the iconic Steady song lyrics emerged. I said to Mick, oh, I've got, I got this tune. You, you got to hear it. You got to hear it. So we went back to my gap, myself and Mick. And it was kind of like after hours, a few beers, got the MacBook out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Bang. Press play. That demo. And he was just like, straight away when the chorus kicked in, go steady with it. Like, that, like it was literally boom. And he played again, played again, played again. And then played it again. And then it was a da 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 Wrote the verse, not the lyrics, the verse. And this all happened like in two or three plays. And I just, I was, I was like, that, that's the vibe. That's the vibe. Then I think he got that first line. I, got, I met your mother an hour ago, you know, and that just kind of, that just, opened it up you know that the threads were open then it was just about put the threads together and then it's just coming out with it because the line licked my you know I was kind of like because I was like this is I knew like straight away this song was going to do well I knew it was just and then he sang I was just like oh, I don't know but he was like he was roaring laugh so it was across the room cracking and then the second line, he's, he tried to outdo himself then on the second verse with the, your father and the heroine. And I was like, I don't know about that. And he was like, it's going in. He, was, he absolutely doubled over in laughter. I 
Pipe was never going to censor anything Mick said lyrically. By late 2007, it was time for the band to think about recording the song in the studio, and Mick wanted his friend Isabel Ray Sweeney to sing the verse. And um, he wanted to find a sweet spot in her voice because, you know, she's got this amazing kind of like um, tone when, when it goes up to that register. He knew this obviously because he'd written for her a lot. And uh, so we, he was like, we have to change the key. And when that, it changed from D to an A, a, a sharp major, really. Isabel's voice was important for the song for two reasons. She added both a sense of musical and lyrical contrast. The contrast uh, of of what he was saying in the first verse, which could be could be deemed slightly derogatory, you know. And I think he maybe wanted to balance it out. I, I know you want to talk to Nick about this, but I'm just I'm my own ideas. But I think maybe he wanted a contract, like, okay, I, he's kind of, I've kind of said this one thing about your mother in the first verse, so I want, like, to, to balance it out, let's put, like, Isabel in the second verse and, and take a dig at your father, you know, or like, or as if the two of them were having a conversation. Hey. I spoke with Brez about how the use of male and female voices adds a unique element to the song and it doesn't seem to be that commonplace in popular music anymore. The like sort of hip-hop stuff or R&B stuff that was coming out of the States, you Timbaland, he was always duetting female um, artists and, you know, just whatever. We were kind of listening to kind of some of that pop stuff as well. So I guess it, it fell into that aesthetic as well. Um, yeah, so that, that like, I mean, that couldn't work out better really. And, and, and then the other female voices you hear on the on the on the song were um Eve Macklin and and um Orla Breslin, my sister, uh and em- Emily Elman as well. They were or uh, backing vocals if you want to call them that. And um, like they all sang lead as well at the gigs, all amazing singers. They're doing all those la 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 you know all those and the ghost daddy with it, the high ones and the layer the they all took a turn layering and every time we put one on it was like oh God it's getting better and better and you know, especially that big outro. Um, we, I think we all gave gave a stab at singing that. And yeah, I can remember doing that those outros, 10, 15 people doing the clap, you know, all in the room with the headphones on and all roaring laughing. And you can hear like uh, even an Orla, I think, laughing at the end, you know. So I, I think they were in the booth together. And, you know, that it would have just been high messing, you know, and it's great. That had to stay in. It was like... That's Goldust, you know. The main thing with this track for me was like from like the demo to Mick coming in that night to the rehearsal, the first rehearsal to the recording was just, it went like amazingly well. It was just so much fun, you know, it was great, you know. The Steady Song was released as a single in 2008 on the 20th of June. Just for some context, this was just a few months before it was announced that the Irish economy had officially hit recession in September 2008 and the employment rate in Ireland reached 6.1%. It's official, we're in recession according to latest economic figures from the Central Statistics Office. 
You may already have been feeling it for months, but officially the country is now in recession, according to the latest figures from the Central Statistics Office. Economic output fell from April to June, the second quarter in a row in which it did so. That's the technical definition of a recession. It was the year when Bertie Ahern stepped down as Taoiseach and was replaced by Brian Cowan. In the US, Barack Obama campaigned under the Yes We Can campaign and falling slowly from the film once won an Oscar for Glenn Hansard and Marketa Glova. It was also the year Dustin the Turkey was kicked off the revision at the semi-finals. I was lucky enough to find the perfect person to tell me a little bit more about the steady song and what made it work in the context of its time. So my name is Jake and my music name is Local Boy. I'm just a producer artist musician and uh, i love the loose <laughs> number one number one loose appreciator well maybe not number one but i, I hope i'm up there jake on the steady song for me it's just the first song that almost comes to mind when i think of that era like just the financial crash side of the recession really it's just it's just perfectly it's, it's a comforting song because i mean it was a tough time for a lot of people but uh it was e- e- even though it's such a dark uh, lyrically, it's such a dark song. It was comforting in its own way. I don't know why. I think as well, yeah, just the the the, the dark and the light. It's the thing again, the ju- that element of juxtaposition where it's like the music is so upbeat and bubblegum, and then the lyrics are just incredibly dark. And I think Mick has said like he wanted to explore pure evil on that album, you know, and he definitely does. And then Isabel's voice is just really, really cool and captivating as well. I asked Brez if the band were influenced by Irish society at the time. Kind of a weird time to kind of sum up. It was it the 80s and 90s in Ireland, like we're dealing two decades we all grew up in, and they were totally different to the noughties. Like I guess it was just a slower pace of cultural movement. You had these um, monumental things like the Late Late Show and, you know, Gay Byrne Show in the mornings on the radio. You had... Dave Fanning, you know, this stalwart of Irish late night radio uh, music, you know, this the Fanning list, you know, these these things. Um, and these things didn't move. These were massive things. They, you know, it wasn't like now to turn over in radio DJs or radio formats or, or everything moves very fast. And it's like, you know, it's just super charged. I think it probably gave us time to kind of slowly come into the noughties with the kind of uh, very slow and steady kind of cultural appreciation of what was going on in the country. And, you know, like if, if a young pop artist wants to come out now, they have to catch this wave that's going to crash in about two weeks. Jake tells me a little bit more about the music scene at the time. A lot of Irish music at the time was relatively, you know, just just guys and guitars. And there's a lot of songwriting, singer-songwriter elements going around. And Deleuze just had so many different aspects to them they had the hip-hop aspect the soul aspect that i hadn't really seen brought in by an irish band at the time at the time i think my line of thinking was like wow they're like you know an american rap group they have like the i was like mick is like andre 3000 to me at the time you know i was uh that aspect of it was really appealing to me to really understand the steady song and what makes it so unique in the Irish musical landscape of 2008, it's hugely important to look at their diverse range of influences. I asked Brez if he could tell me a little bit more about where these eclectic influences came from. It was just simply down to kind of, um, we all loved those genres. Like, Cos was the drummer at the time, Colin Nolan. Um, he was a big Run DMC fan. 
Mick was it was a mega hip hop fan. That's pretty much all he listened to. But then, like I was a hip hop fan throughout the '90s as well, you know. Uh, so it was just something we loved, and it was and obviously it was phase two of hip hop. It was it was it was such a massive um, change within that genre that you know throughout the '90s that it was just exciting. But myself and Mick and Dave were like heavily into blues music, really steeped in blues music. That was basically all I listened to from the age of like 12, 13, that and Prince. Um, so, and James Brent. And, and Mick was the same with the blues and Dave was the same with the blues. I remember having early conversations going, like, let's just do everything. Who cares, you know? At the time, like the Frames were the biggest band in Ireland, you know? And um, brilliant live band and great songs, great musicians. But it just wasn't what we were into at the time. We weren't kind of going around going, the friends are terrible. That wasn't the thing. We were kind of going, look, we're here now. We've had enough of kind of this, you know, for a while. We kind of just brought it into our kind of narrative and used it a little bit, you know. Bryce explains how, similar to Irish musicians that came before him, the band sound is directly influenced by American music. I remember having a conversation with Mick early days and kind of like over a few beers. And I was like, look what's just come before us, like Van Morrison and Rory Gallagher. Um, Phil Linnett they all took their their core influence from black American music you know black black soul music black blues music and I said like we're, we're kind of doing the same thing and I was like there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't just pick up where they lad, the lads left off you know um, and just do the same thing there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't do that the, the blueprints were like, uh, like the Irishness that Rory Gallagher had in his music and the Irishness that Phil had in his music it was like we wanted those things to be part of it and we were heavily aware of Irish traditional music and folk music and the likes of Paul Brady and all that. So we, we, we wanted to be Irish, but we wanted to just uh, acknowledge the, the other influence, you know, the American influence, I guess. You know. Stylistically, the band is very different from Irish popular music of the time. Did you receive any backlash at the start? No, it was kind of the other way around. Uh, we, we were kind of like, kind of came out uh, kicking the doors open in a real boisterous kind of like, you know, machismo. Like, you know, we were kind of like, right, we're here now, get out of the way. There's a bit of that going on now. You know, none of us are actually like that. It kind of played into the kind of like um, alter egos that we all kind of uh, um, embraced. Jake talks a little bit more about the band's image. Irish rap music isn't maybe as braggadocious as other countries because we have that post-colonial mentality. We don't want to be above our station or whatever. And Mick is the first person, I think, to perfectly blend the like ridiculous hyperbole, braggadocio, but with the like self-deprecating element, which is just like the juxtaposition is so present in their music and it's so fun. For me, the song subs up a moment of change in Irish society. Both Braz and Jake mentioned the tonally ambiguous nature of the song. The lyrics kind of balance between the absurd and a sense of darkness while the song remains harmonically ambiguous. For me, this is reflective of a kind of changing Ireland, whether it's a musical change, an economic change, or even a wider societal change. In many ways, the song was the perfect soundtrack to 2008, but like any good song, it still remains popular today. Republic of Lease has continued to be a big influence on Irish music today. I asked Local Boy about the influence the band has had on Irish music. Yeah, well, I've been involved in the Irish hip-hop scene for quite a while. I'm, I'm in a music collective called Burner Records and we put on hip-hop gigs and 
I'm, my music's a little bit hip hop, but I'd probably be one of the least hip hop on the roster. But uh, a lot of my friends are, are, are in the scene, and one of the things we bonded about when we first started hanging out was a love of Republic of Loose. We close every gig that we play with a uh, comeback girl is like our outro. It's our outro song, but I think it was just uh, Mick was the first kind of uh, Irish person I've been exposed to on the radio or in mainstream media that had been rapping, and it kind of just sparked the idea like, oh, maybe this is something that you could do. Maybe it's not embarrassing for an Irish person to to rap, you know. And one of the things as well that's important for for the Irish hip hop scene was their uh, relationship with Styles P the rapper from the locks the guy that they had on i love music like he's a legendary new york rapper and it's just there's videos of him playing an aim endurance with mixing singing the hook of his song like that's just i don't think anything like that has happened since really i don't think i haven't seen an american rapper like embrace an irish act like that ever since really on your most recent single milkshake pill taste you reference the band's lead singer mick pyro how has their music kind of influenced you on your own songwriting I think it's almost subconscious. Like a lot of people just started saying to me, oh, you sound like, you sound a bit like the loose. Like you have that element to the music. And I was like, obviously I I wouldn't say I'm at that level yet. I'm not, you know what I mean? I, I can't compare myself to them because they're just mind-blowingly good. But uh, people have said that I remind them of the loose a little bit. And yeah, I think it's just, I'm such a big fan. It just kind of subconsciously worked its way in, you know? Jake isn't the only Irish artist who has been influenced by the band. In 2018, Irish rapper Reggie Snow released an interpolation of the song called Charlie Brown. I definitely recommend having a listen to that version too. Reggie's version is kind of like a pop art painting, you know, it's kind of like uh, he's taking all the parts of the song and he's kind of like, just say, you know, chop them up and then rearrange them in the, within the, the confines of the frame or whatever. That's, that's the way I feel about it. I think it's a really good version. I think it's great. Uh, I think it was a challenge to kind of do something different with that song and uh, because of all just all the elements I've talked about. I just listened back. I was going, Jesus, there's so much in it, really, you know. Talking to Brez, I just really got the sense that talking about the song brought back a lot of happy memories for him. He describes how the song just came together perfectly. Everybody brought parts in the song and like Podge with the detuned bass and the groove, the melodic counter melody I had in, in the choruses Deck took them on the, on the, on the synth and then Deck and uh, Mick worked out some lovely string parts on the, the two and the five sections and Dave, Dave me and Dave we didn't have to do on the song we were guitar players so me and Dave just sat back and just did, did our little bits and then Mick just went to town with all the vocals and it just it was like a perfect collaboration you know with everybody everybody brought something to the table and um, it just just came together, you know. It was um, yeah, it was great. It was just a great feeling. Popkill is written and produced by me, Hilary Barry. Thanks again to my guests Brez Breslin and Jake Hurley, aka Local Boy. You can keep up with Local Boy on Instagram at localboy3000 and keep an eye out for his latest album release, Local Boy Climbs the Ladder. And you can keep up with everything Republic of Loose on the band's Instagram page at Republic of Loose. This episode has included the steady song by Republic of Loose and music by Poddington Bay. Thanks for listening.